Hello, everyone. It's a new day with new discoveries to be made. It's July 12th, and this is the one-year Bible tour guide in which we encourage you to read the world's number one bestseller and get a grasp on its life-changing message. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I'm pleased to serve as your reading host and as a tour guide of sorts. We're happy to have people on board from all over the world, and we are reading through the Bible according to the one-year Bible reading plan. You can purchase a one-year Bible at any bookstore or freely access it online at oneyearbibleonline.com. This year we are reading from the English Standard Version. Each day after reading a portion from the Old and New Testaments, I hope to point out some observations that I don't want you to miss. Although the Bible consists of 66 different books written over a period of 1,500 years in three different languages and on three different continents by 40 different authors, many of whom did not know each other nor did they consult each other, and yet we can say that the Bible is one book with a unifying theme of the redemption of the human race through the person of God's Son, the prophesied Redeemer. The Bible is unique in many ways. One theologian said, The Bible is not a book man would write if he could, or could write if he would. It accurately records the truth about the human being's condition. We're all born, D-O-A, dead on arrival, dead in our sins. As I've often said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And the human heart is locked in a deep form of rebellion known as sin. While other religions often teach that man is basically good and can redeem him or herself through sincere motives and good behavior, the Bible tells us that all humanity is inherently evil, sinful, with a bent away from the righteous rule of God, and as a consequence is separated from God. Whereas humanly devised religion speaks of the need for man to work its way to redeem itself back to God, the Bible tells us that God has come to do the redeeming work in the person of His Son. There are many examples of God leaving his thumbprint on the pages of Scripture. The accurate fulfillment of its prophecies are just one example. There are some humanly devised mythologies and religions that describe gods and superheroes with their similar attributes to the God of the Bible, but none of these portray a God containing all of these attributes. And of course, we see how these attributes of God are perfectly articulated in the Incarnation, the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the Living Word. A relatively new believer told me today that his non-Christian friend said to him recently, I can see that you have been diving into reading the scriptures and that your life has been transformed. We should expect that. When we encounter the living word in the testimony of the written word, it results in transformation. Today we will start reading the Apostle Paul's longest epistle, his letter to the church at Rome, and in it He encourages the transformation of our lives through the renewing of our minds. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So let's dive into our reading of the scripture and see how it impacts us. This will become especially clear as we start Paul's letter to the Romans. However, our first stop on today's tour is 1 Chronicles chapter 12, beginning with verse 19. We're reading about Israel's favorite king, King David. So let's start. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, beginning with verse 19. Some of the men of Manasseh deserted to David when he came with the Philistines for the battle against Saul. 
yet he did not help them, for the rulers of the Philistines took counsel and sent him away, saying, At peril to our heads he will desert to his master Saul. As he went to Ziklag, these men of Manasseh deserted to him. Adna, Jozabad, Jediael, Michael, Jozabad, Elihu, and Zelathai, chiefs of thousands in Manasseh. They helped David against the band of raiders, for they were all mighty men of valor and were commanders in the army. For from day to day men came to David to help him, until there was a great army, like an army of God. These are the numbers of the divisions of the armed troops who came to David in Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him, according to the word of the Lord. The men of Judah bearing shield and spear were six thousand eight hundred armed troops. Of the Simeonites, mighty men of valor for war, seven thousand one hundred. Of the Levites, four thousand six hundred. The prince Jehoiada of the house of Aaron, and with him three thousand seven hundred. Zadok, a young man mighty in valor, and twenty-two commanders from his own father's house. Of the Benjaminites, the kinsmen of Saul, three thousand, of whom the majority had to that point kept their allegiance to the house of Saul. Of the Ephraimites, twenty thousand eight hundred, mighty men of valor, famous men in their fathers' houses. Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, eighteen thousand, who were expressly named to come and make David king. Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, two hundred chiefs, and all their kinsmen under their command. Of Zebulun, fifty thousand seasoned troops, equipped for battle with all the weapons of war, to help David with singleness of purpose. Of Naphtali, one thousand commanders with whom were thirty-seven thousand men armed with shield and spear. Of the Danites, twenty-eight thousand six hundred men equipped for battle. Of Asher, forty thousand seasoned troops ready for battle. Of the Reubenites and Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh from beyond the Jordan, a hundred and twenty thousand men, men armed with all the weapons of war. All these, men of war, arrayed in battle order, came to Hebron with a whole heart to make David king over all Israel. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were of a single mind to make David king. And they were there with David for three days, eating and drinking, for their brothers had made preparation for them, and also their relatives, from as far as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali, came bringing food on donkeys and on camels and on mules and on oxen, abundant provisions of flour, cakes of figs, clusters of raisins, and wine and oil, oxen and sheep, for there was joy in Israel. Chapter 13 The Ark Brought from Kiriath-Jearim David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Uzzah and the Ark So David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the Ark of God from Kiriath-Jearim. 
And David and all Israel went up to Baala, that is, to Kiriath-Jearim, that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart, from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, and he said, How can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obedidim the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obedidim in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obedidim and all that he had. Chapter 14 And Hiram king of Tyre sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, also masons and carpenters, to build a house for him. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more wives in Jerusalem, and David fathered more sons and daughters. These are the names of the children born to him in Jerusalem, Shammuah, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Elpelet, Noga, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Beeliada, and Eliphelet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went out against them. Now the Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of God, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, Go up, and I will give them into your hand. And he went up to Baal-parazim, and David struck them down there. And David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a bursting flood. Therefore the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And they left their gods there, and David gave command, and they were burned. And the Philistines yet again made a raid in the valley. And when David again inquired of God, God said to him, You shall not go up after them. Go around and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then go out to battle, for God has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as God commanded him, and they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. And the fame of David went out into all lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. And this concludes today's portion from our reading from the book of First Chronicles. Now, as is our Bible tour custom, let us take a few moments to recap and reflect upon our observations. Today's section from First Chronicles continues to describe how the Lord was bringing more people to support David in his pursuit of God's will. For day by day men came to David to help him, until there was a great army like the army of God. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 22. The scriptures remind us that there was a cost associated with following David before he was formally installed as king. 
Some of the men from the tribe of Manasseh defected from Saul to join David when he went with the Philistines. They also helped David defend himself against raiding bands. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 21, the chronicler records the numbers of those who loyally identified with David and were determined to make David king over all Israel. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 38. We can see the hand of the Lord in bringing support to David as day after day people were added to his army. It reminds us of the book of Acts. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. As the numbers of the tribes are listed, we read about the men of Issachar. Of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Their chiefs were two hundred, and all their kinsmen were at their command. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. The men of Issachar understood what was happening in history. I believe what is implied is that these men recognized that God had rejected the house of Saul and that his hand was on David, and that their priority was to ensure that David be enthroned as king. Do we understand our times in the context of God's activities in redemptive history? Do we know what we are to be doing in this present age? Do we rally to the charge to make disciples of King Jesus during this present age of darkness? David sets out his agenda. Let us bring back the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. 1 Chronicles 13 verse 3 The ark symbolized the Mosaic covenant that placed the very presence of God's glory in their midst. It bore the testimony of God's self-revelation in the wilderness. Throughout the reign of King Saul, the Ark of the Covenant had been ignored and neglected. It was kept in the village of kiriath Jearim. It is taken from Abinadab's house on a new Philistine cart rather than the prescribed means of transport on the shoulders of the Kohathites. Uzzah is struck dead when he tries to steady the Ark with his hand. The place of Uzzah's death is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. The Ark was to be transported on staves of wood, symbolizing the cross. We cannot bear the presence or come into the presence of Christ without the work of the cross. David reacts with anger and changes his plans and delivers the ark to the house of Obedidim where it stays for three months. Thus the ark of God remained with the family of Obedidim in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the family of Obedidim with all that he had. Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with supplies of cedar logs, stonemasons, and carpenters. In First Chronicles chapter 14, verse 2, And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. We see that David disobeys God's written word and multiplies wives to himself. He disobeys Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, and First Chronicles chapter 14, verse 3. Some of his children are listed here, but noticeably absent in the list are those whose sad endings we have read about, Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, and Tamar. When the Philistines hear that David had been made king of Israel, they search for him. David inquires as to whether he should attack the Philistines who were raiding the valley of Rephaim. The Lord assures David a victory, and he is granted success. When the Philistines attack again, David inquires of the Lord, who gives specific instruction. David did just as God had commanded him, and they struck down the army of the Philistines from Gibeon even as far as Gezer. Then the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him on all the nations. 
1 Chronicles chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. Now let's move on in our Bible tour to the New Testament, and we start the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, beginning with chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. And this concludes today's portion from the New Testament, the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Rome before he or any of the apostles had personally been to Rome. The church most likely was planted by believers who returned there from Jerusalem at Pentecost or travelers who heard the gospel in other places and brought it back to the empire's capital city. This is the first letter in the sequence of New Testament epistles, although it is not the earliest written. The epistles are arranged by author, often with the largest epistles, coming first. Paul is addressing the need of the church to accept both the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews had been banished from Rome and were being permitted re-entrance. It was important for the Gentile Christians at Rome to make room for the Jewish believers and appreciate that they were being grafted into the story. Paul wrote his letter to the church at Rome in 57 AD from Corinth while on his third missionary journey. In writing this pastoral letter to the church in Rome, Paul makes it clear that the gospel of God is the answer to the dilemma of both Jew and Gentile. The good news is centered on the person and work of his Son. The entire Bible is centered on the theme of God providing redemption according to his promise of a Messiah. In the opening paragraph of this epistle, Paul confidently proclaims that Jesus of Nazareth is this Messiah, anticipated by the prophets, the promised son of David. 
the resurrection gives him the confidence that Jesus is the Son of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Paul's salvation and calling as an apostle is completely dependent upon the person and work of Jesus Christ, and so is our salvation. We are saved and belong to God as members of His church simply by the obedience of faith, that is, heeding the gospel's demand for committed trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news about God salvaging the human race, restoring it to a right relationship with Himself, and then to fulfill His choice purposes, restoring it to mint condition, that is, undamaged, as if freshly minted, like manufactured money. We read of the person and work of Christ as it is anticipated in the Old Testament, as it is accomplished in the Gospels, and as it is analyzed in the Epistles. The Gospels and the book of Acts tell us what Jesus did, and the Epistles tell us what it means. Paul is thankful for the testimony of God's saving grace in the church at Rome. He describes his own personal readiness in terms of eagerness. He is eager to come visit them and minister his portion of Christ among them. In Romans 1.15, It is a readiness of heart. I am longing to see you. It is a readiness of mind. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And it is a readiness of his will. He explains that he has been persevering in his attempts to visit them, in verse 13, and has not given up. His actions reflect his conviction that good news is for sharing. He says, I am under obligation to all people. The great missionary to Africa and India C.T. Studd said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. We are all under obligation to share the gospel with as many people as possible. We have been given spiritual gifts and opportunities for service. The love of God compels us to use them for the building up of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is about the power of God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. It is a revelation of the righteousness of God from faith to faith, from first to last. It is helpful to think of righteousness as rightness. God is ever in the right. Because of sin, we are ever in the wrong. How can God, who is ever in the right, make us who are in the wrong, in the right, without compromising His rightness? The answer is in the cross. In the cross of Christ, God righteously judges sin in His Son, the sinless substitute, and provides forgiveness to those who receive Him as such by faith. This is the message that we are called to preach. This is a pastoral epistle to a local church, but it is also a clear exposition of the doctrine of salvation to all churches. For this reason, the book of Romans has sometimes been called the Gospel according to St. Paul. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. Now let's move on in our Bible reading tour to the book of Psalms, and we read Psalm 9, beginning with verse 13 through to verse 20. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. 
he has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail, let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord, let the nations know that they are but men. And that concludes today's portion from our reading from the book of Psalms. The psalm keeps both heaven and hell in view. We read about the enemy coming to everlasting ruins, the nations sinking into the pit that they made, and receiving the Lord's judgment. We also read of the humble, penitent soul who appeals to God to lift him from the gates of death. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Now let's go to the book of Proverbs, where a proverb a day keeps foolishness away. Proverbs chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. People often run after the rich, hoping to receive benefits from their wealth. In contrast, the poor are often deserted by their friends as their relationship with them no longer promises personal gain. We are to be aware of the deceptive nature of wealth and to be compassionate to the poor. We are also reminded that one day the truth will expose all lies and that liars will be punished if there is no repentance. We are responsible to speak the truth in love in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you for the gospel centered in your Son. You have declared your glory and his centrality in the work of redemption by raising him from the dead. In him we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. In him we have acceptance and eternal life. In him we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Keep us ready to share this good news, readiness of mind, heart, and will. May we be mindful that it is your power unto salvation to everyone who believes. Keep us alert to opportunities to reach out with your message of reconciliation to all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, that they may have peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, friends, for being with us on our Bible tour. I'm so glad that we're able to start the book of Romans today. The Apostle Paul lays out the gospel of grace so clearly. And we also look forward to learning more from the reign of King David. So be with us tomorrow if you can. If you have any comments or questions, you can contact us by writing podcasts at newlife.org. And if you'd like to receive a written copy of each day's commentary on our Bible reading, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. So as much as I don't like saying goodbye, let's unpack that English word with the true meaning of the phrase, for goodbye means God be with ye. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.